Welcome back to Your Other Mother, stories of early queer family making. A few thoughts have been swirling in my mind since I began creating this project. One is what to call it. The term first wave was floating around in my mind. And this idea of early queer families is still a thorny one for me. To be clear, queer families have existed as long as families have existed. Queer people have always existed as long as humans have existed. So to say that this podcast is about quote-unquote early queer family making feels a little inaccurate or revisionist. What I'm trying to get at with that term is that this project seeks to document the experiences of queers in the late 20th century who were some of the first queer people to attempt to create recognized legal relationships to their children, or even to form families with children alongside another queer partner in a way that was recognized by their communities. The early, in early queer family making, really refers to the fact that these were some of the first folks to try and form these kind of queer families in an open way in the late 20th century, and with as much structural protection as hetero families were given, simply automatically under the law. I absolutely honor and hope to make clear that I know queer families have always existed and will continue to. Another thing I wanted to address that's been troubling me, the words I've used in this project. While making this project, I've often used the terms gay, queer, and same-sex somewhat interchangeably or fluidly in my conversations with folks on the show to describe families in which two people who identify as being the same gender are parenting together, as in gay families, queer families, or same-sex parenting, all of which I've used. But those three terms, gay, queer, same-sex, obviously have radically different meanings, connotations, and political weight. And what a queer family even means is up for debate and can be interpreted in different ways by different people. Even the use of the term gay to describe my own family is not really very accurate, as one of my moms identifies as gay and the other does not. And while the term gay is contemporarily used in somewhat of a winking way by young people as a shorthand to describe a vast spectrum of queerness, throughout history, the term gay has obviously had shifting meanings. It is certainly the case that the use of the term gay contemporarily to describe men who love men or who have sex with exclusively men has had an impact on the use of the term gay generally as a catch-all term to describe both gay men and gay women, which I think speaks to the ways in which male privilege operates in our contemporary culture. Another thing I noticed as I've been reflecting is that my terminology has even shifted over the course of the year that I've been making this project. I started out by pitching the podcast to potential interviewees as about quote-unquote same-sex adoption in Washington State, among other subjects. I think in part because I was afraid to use the more politically charged term queer to describe my subject matter, or even the more vanilla LGBTQ or its variations. Also, I will note that the term queer's radical history and radical connotations of rejecting the pressure to conform to heterosexuality in its trappings doesn't always feel totally apt in the context of this project. My parents don't identify with that term, and many of the parents of the folks I interview don't identify with that term whatsoever. This speaks to the generational relationships to the terminology to describe queer life. The term queer in and of itself emerged as a reclamation of a slur. And for many older people, the term either doesn't resonate or lands for them as extremely problematic or hurtful. However, for younger folks like me, 
the term queer is an expansive one, rife with possibility. And for me, I love the way in which it contains multitudes. Also, for many families, the framework of same-sex simply isn't relevant, as just because two parents might have the same assigned birth sex, they may not identify as such, and using the term queer families or queer family-making allows for more expansiveness in capturing the wide spectrum of family compositions that exist among us. The terms gay parenting, gay marriage, gay adoption, or gay families also simply don't leave room for the complexity of gender and sexuality. What about families where one parent is gay and the other is bisexual? Where one is a gay cis person, but the other is trans or non-binary? I've struggled to reconcile this complexity with the ease of using terms that are familiar to folks, particularly across a wide range of ages and generations. And I'm so used to using gay as a shorthand, even to describe my own family and my experience, and for other queer families, as well as the term queer to describe the vast spectrum of anything other than heterosexuality, that I think it's easy to engage in a linguistic slippage and be less than disciplined with my terminology. The next episode that I put out is kind of addressing this question of like what terms we use because I feel like I've been pretty like loosey-goosey with the terms I've been using but I was like oh god like am I being offensive with like using certain words that like you know the three of us might have used when I was growing up to describe our family um, or like the words I might use to describe myself anyway so I mean what it made me think is like I'd be curious to hear from your perspective like your kind of reaction to what words I've used thus far and also just like talking about kind of like the, what words resonate with you and, and what words you feel like describe yourselves accurately. I mean, I guess it's kind of like, I feel like in our family, it's like the running joke is always like, oh, well, like Denise isn't a lesbian. And like when I was younger, I felt like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But then since I've become an adult, I've been like, yeah, she's not. Like, I feel like Denise, you and I have talked about the fact that like that word doesn't resonate with you and it or or it does not accurately describe your identity, right? Um, whereas Tracy, that identity, that word might describe your identity more accurately. So anyway, I'd love to sh hear if you want to share, like, what word do you use to describe yourself in your mind? Um, and I guess what word would you use to describe yourself to others with regard to your sexual orientation? Well, I guess for me, it, you know, I've never had a problem with being gay and being called gay. But as time's gone on, you know, it, it appears that gay gets more assigned to males. And so, you know, and then that puts us in lesbian category. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, lesbian is just, when I was growing up, you didn't call somebody a homosexual or a lesbian or queer um, because it was more offensive. It felt like an offensive term. Mm -hmm. But I would consider myself a lesbian. I am a lesbian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Wouldn't even just consider myself one. <laughs> I am one. But um, yeah, it's uh, growing up, I called myself gay. And by growing up, how old are you talking about? Oh, in my 20s. <laughs> Denise, I, how, about, how about you? Um, I, yeah, I don't, I never thought of myself as gay or a lesbian. Although some people would disagree, but um, I, I, and I, and I think what I gravitate towards is, is a terminology that you, that is used today, 
just like fluid. I think that fits me best. Sexually fluid or like. Yeah, that's, I feel, I I don't know if there's a word for it, but I feel like I'm on a continuum, Mm -hmm. a sexual continuum, you know, like here's with, you know, females and here's with no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess like. I would call that like queer or pansexual or bisexual. Is that, is that where the word I was using? But like, I think yeah. those words don't resonate with you. Or... And the queer word doesn't really resonate with yeah. me. It has kind of a negative um, connotation. I mm-hmm. think like historically, like you explained. Absolutely. I, I, I agree with that um, explanation. I, mm-hmm. I feel like it did have kind of a negative. So I guess I would feel, yeah, I just don't like to label myself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, that's, uh, yeah, uh, totally, that's totally. The problem. That's probably the, the biggest um, explanation of Denise is yeah. that she doesn't like labels of any mm-hmm. kind. So, mm-hmm. you know. Oh, totally. It makes sense. I mean, I feel like that, the fact that there isn't a word that necessarily resonates, or I shouldn't say a word, the fact that there isn't like sort of an established, like, oh, this is the bucket I fall into that resonates with you that's very telling as to how you feel about yourself, right? Like there just isn't one that fits and that's fine. And like, nor should there have to be. Right. Right. I feel like the, that's what I think. I mean, I, yeah, I, I, there are, there is a lot of criticism of, you know, this pressure we kind of put on people, particularly LGBTQ people to like pick a term and stick with it. Right. Right. Um, Cause I think there's like, there's probably merit and power in like, or I don't know. So I guess, okay. So Tracy, with regard to the word lesbian, like, what does that word mean to you? Not, not necessarily like, what's the dictionary definition, but like, I know for a lot of people, the word lesbian is like a very politicized political claiming. Like I am like the word lesbian is like very politically charged in, in a positive way for them. And I wonder if that is the case for you. Not necessarily. I think, you know, just as a 20 year old, it just wasn't a term that we would use. Mm -hmm. We just kind of gay sounded a little bit more welcoming and, Mm -hmm. you know, we'd go to gay bars. We didn't Mm -hmm. go to lesbian bars, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think nowadays it is kind of a reclaiming, Mm -hmm. you know, there's some power in that, Mm -hmm. But definitely it was offensive when we were, when I was younger. Well, I was going to ask you, is that because older women took that name? Older gay women? No, I think, no, I think it was because we were assigned that. um, It was just a term that people, um, straight people. Mm-hmm. would give us mm-hmm. you no know, it wasn't really what we called ourselves we called mm-hmm. ourselves gay mm-hmm. so that makes you know, sense we didn't have I didn't have ownership of it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when did that change for you do you think I think maybe as I became more politically active mm-hmm. you know and by active I mean just educated mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know it it um it is kind of a re it's an important reclaiming mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's not the same obviously but it's can maybe it's analogous to the use of the word queer as an identity marker in that way where it's like that word was used to harm queer people but queer people like right re re reestablish ownership of that term right whereas to now it's like so almost depoliticized at least for young people like young very young people that term is so depoliticized not depoliticized it doesn't even land as offensive right i think it's similar to um 
Well, you know, also when you're talking about language and how people, you mentioned, I think in your first podcast about um, people saying things like, oh, that's so gay. Mm -hmm. It was always in a derogatory way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I don't know how that all features into everything, but, Mm -hmm. you know, it it wasn't welcoming. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Denise, I was going to ask you, when you guys first got together, I mean, I feel like this is with this way, there's such a way to, there's so much there to talk about that's not, that's with outside of the purview of this. But how did you describe your, like, when that happened? I guess, like, I'm just thinking about like this question of terminology. Like, did when you would describe the fact that you were in a relationship with Tracy to other people, like, did people try to kind of foist on you like, oh, so you're a lesbian now or your ex now? Or was it, did that, I mean, I'm just kind of curious about that. Like, did people suddenly go, oh, well, you're, you're, you're gay now? Yeah, no, it, it was so funny because I would just kind of joke about it and I'd say I changed teams. Mm-hmm. And, and I, no, I, no one really did. I mean, I, I just said, I fell in love with Tracy. Mm-hmm. They all knew what that meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I mean, and who wouldn't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I, and no one really, no one really said that. Are you gay now? I think mm-hmm. that's because there were some people that thought that maybe I was gay in the first place, but um, you know, so it wasn't a big stretch, mm-hmm. but I never, I never thought that of myself. And I just, again, I just, um, you know, that's just, I just decided that's who I loved and wanted mm-hmm. to be with. And, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't really put myself, I didn't really label it. Mm-hmm. So I, nowadays, you know, 35 years later, however long you guys have been together, when people ask you, do you have sort of a shorthand or do you just say like, my partner is a woman? I'm just curious, you know, like, it just like, here's the they issue. Would I feel never like, say that. Well, yeah, first of all, she would <laughs> okay. uh, not in any universe. Hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically. I would just say, no, Run to I, your head. I my partner's Tracy. And the, the, leave it at that. Figure it out. Tracy, how does that make you feel? Oh, I'm used to it. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Mm-hmm. It doesn't I, really I, matter, does it? Not really. No. I mean, no, it's not like we hide anything, but of course, a lot of yeah. times, you know, Denise doesn't like mis- mixing, you know, personal with business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't bother me in the least. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. Well, um, well the reason I ask is because I feel like something, I think the whole reason this has been on my mind is because I feel like I often use like, <laughs> I'll say like, gay or like to describe our family or your guys relationship as a shorthand but then I'm kind of like that doesn't really capture the complexity right but I feel like sometimes it's easier to just be like it, it, it's like the, it's almost like the reason we use these words is because they sort of are a more efficient way to communicate something really complicated right mm-hmm. um but I feel like yeah, maybe for you Denise because you're the way you identify or your sexual orientation is complicated and nuanced there just isn't maybe the need to communicate that because you're like they don't have they don't have the time to listen exactly (laughs) as i mentioned early on throughout the process of creating and researching this project i've been struck by the whiteness of the landscape 
my limited community of fellow children of queers are almost all white, or have at least one white parent, although that is largely a reflection of the fact that my parents and I are all white, and that I have grown up in fairly homogenous communities that are majority white. There is, of course, immense racial and gender diversity among the community of queer families in this country, and globally, but my experience has certainly been shaped by whiteness and cisness in this way. Whiteness and gender conformity played an enormous role in the creation of my own family. My parents' existence as femme cis white women certainly impacted their ability to be perceived positively by the many gatekeepers they encountered along their process to become my legal parents. Similarly, my experiences growing up with my moms were shaped by our collective identity. I have the benefit of being the same race as my parents, which likely minimized the frequency of people questioning our relationship to one another. A multiracial queer family might not have this luxury. Similarly, my moms and I are all cis and gender conforming, so I and they faced very different assumptions made about us than a family where one or both parents are gender nonconforming. Those privileges are tangible, and I don't wish to ever downplay the ways in which those privileges gave us and continue to give us protection, safety, and greater access to resources. And something I very much have not addressed in this project is the history of trans, non-binary, and gender non-conforming or gender expansive folks creating their families during the late 20th century. It seems to me that in keeping with the sexual and gender politics of that era, the conversation around queer family making at the time that I was growing up was absolutely dominated by representations of cis queers. And for me, that was also my experience of understanding queer families. As such, my retelling of my own experiences is filtered through that lens, as are the experiences of many of the folks I've spoken with throughout this project. And of course, I don't claim to be speaking for all queer families or all children of queers in making this project. And I recognize that the slice of life I've shown here, both of my own and that of my fellow children of queers, is truly homogenous and deeply impacted by our collective privileges. All that is to say, My main aim and my hope in sharing these stories is that I can complicate our cultural conceptions of family and elevate the voices of the children of queer families, as well as those who are at the forefront in helping queer people make families. And one more important thing, the name of this podcast. When I was a kid and I would ask my mom something like, play with me or, you know, do this, she would say, ask your other mother, as in like, go bother your other mother with this problem. My mom, Tracy, claims to not remember this, but to me, it's burned in my memory, and I think of it very fondly. So there's that. Until next time. <laughs>